Hey, uh, I'm going to speak to you today. My, the title of my message is, Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? Yeah, awesome. Good. Um, yeah, no, I've never actually used that in a, in a sermon before, but uh, that's, that's just what came out. Um, so if you have your Bible with you, all of you do, good on you. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. We had a funny moment uh, in Paradise Kids today. So Ed was going to do a, a part of their teaching and he needed a Bible and uh, they couldn't find a Bible anywhere. And came and said, Brad, you have a Bible? I was like, oh, it's on my iPad. So we had to go and find one up in the office uh, to use for an illustration. So it's good. People are not saying people aren't reading the Bible, but it's all on your phone or on your device. And so, which is great that there's accessible everywhere. But um, paper's nice too. All right, Acts chapter one, verses six to eight. And it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus speaks these words. This is after, I mean, essentially 30 years of of hiddenness and obscurity, just kind of as a, as a no one really working as a carpenter. Then he has this three years of ministry, performing miracles, uh, you know, revealing the character and the nature of Father God and revealing God as a father. Then, you know, a small kind of thing of like dying for the sins of the world, raising again, conquering Satan, sin and death, you know, doing that as well in his spare time. Um, Jesus declaring that the work that he had come to accomplish is finished, okay? So this is post-resurrection and Jesus is spending time with a bunch of disciples of his. So again, not just the 12, which would have been then the 11, but a, but a whole bunch more people and uh, this group of apostles that had formed. And he's sharing with them and it says in, in the beginning of chapter one, talking to them about the kingdom of heaven explaining to them more, revealing more of these realities, preaching about the kingdom of heaven. And then right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives this apostolic commission to those that were present with him. And that's the verses that we just read. So if you look at verse six, I'm just gonna pull apart this little section of scripture. And it says, so when they had come together, they asked him and they said, Lord, will you... So the focus was on Jesus and they're asking him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So their question is their framework of everything that's happened and everything that Jesus has taught them, they still have this focus and this attention to say, all right, now Jesus, even though we, you know, some of us heard that you had declared it is finished, but we're just wondering, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Surely by now, it's time for you to do what we're expecting you to do. So their attention was focused on what they wanted Jesus to do. So they're coming to this meeting with Jesus and they're expecting, all right, Jesus, we're ready for you to do what you're gonna do. And Jesus kind of flips it around. They're thinking you've got more things to do, Jesus. And Jesus flips it around and puts it back on them. And they're asking him, so not just was their attention focused on what he was gonna do, their expectation was he was gonna do something that would benefit them. Their attention and their expectation was small and their focus was local. Because they wanted him to restore the kingdom to Israel, to the Jews, to their people group. 
Like, cool, yes, finally now, you're gonna restore the kingdom to us and we're gonna kind of rule and reign with you on the earth. So their attention was very small, their attention was very local, their expectation on what Jesus was going to do was very much about them. But then Jesus says to them in verse seven, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. So essentially He's saying to them, don't concern yourselves with what the Father has planned, concern yourselves with what the Father has planned for you. Concern yourselves with what the Father has planned for you to do. So where their attention is on Him, and I don't know if you've ever found this in your own Christian life, I certainly have for me and I've certainly seen in other people that we can often spend our journey with God focused all around what we're wanting Him to do, what we're expecting that He's going to do. God, we need you to do this. God, we need you to do that. And our attention is on God, would you do something? And yet when we look at the Scriptures, we see more often than not, it's God saying, will you do something? that we're waiting on the Lord to move and yet He is waiting for us to move. And one of us, I think, is more stubborn than the other. And I don't mean that in any way, but God's pretty stubborn. God's gotta hold His ground because He's like, I've, I've done my part. I've done my bit. If I was gonna do your bit, then I wouldn't need you, so why would you even be here? Why would I call you? Why would I call you to be my disciple and send you out into the earth? But again, these disciples, they've spent three years with Jesus. They know everything that He's teaching and they're still sitting there expecting that God's going to do something more. So He says to them, look, it's not, it's not for you to know the times of the season that the Father's gonna do His next bit. You don't need to know that. But He goes on, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But you, who's He talking to? Who will receive power? Yes. Thanks, see the youth, youth group boys are tuned in, paying attention. Who will, who will receive power? You will receive power. They're expecting, God, would you do this next powerful move? And Jesus is saying, this, you don't need to concern yourselves with what we're gonna do next, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. This word power is the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It's like explosive power. You are gonna receive explosive power. Where I had explosive power, you are going to receive explosive power. When I had the ability to do all the things that I did, now you are going to have the ability to do all the same things that I did. We don't just have a message, people. We have a manifestation. You need to understand that in your life, you don't just have a message about Jesus, you have a manifestation. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. That's why we pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When we're starting young, the younger the better. That's why Jesus said to His disciples just after this section of verses, don't leave Jerusalem, or it might have been just before, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit's come upon you in power. I've said this many times before, I think surely in the three years that Jesus spent with His disciples, they would have, would have received all that they needed to accomplish all that God had for them. Three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with Jesus was not enough to carry them into their future. But Jesus said to them, wait here until the Holy Spirit has come upon you in power. 
then you will go out and you'll do what I've called you to do. So we don't just have a message, we have a manifestation. We have, there should be an expectation in our lives, not just that we have words to speak, but that we're gonna see God move in the ways that He moved when He was on earth and that He would move through us because He's not saying, and you will see power come or I will continue to release power in different ways. He says, you will receive power. Can you say, I will receive power? We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Amen? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit is not just for personal transformation, but it's to enable an effective witness for Jesus. We are to be filled with the Spirit so that we can be sent out as witnesses as representations of Jesus. In the same way, even in the 30 years of preparation, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Up until His baptism, fully God, fully man, and yet He waited for the Holy Spirit to come upon Him in His baptism. And from that point, then He goes and does what God has called Him to do, which is the model for us, not necessarily to wait 30 years, but that we wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon us and then that power of God enables us to do what God wants us to do. If we are working in our own strength, not only will we burn out, but we won't accomplish what the Lord has for us because it can only be done in His strength. It can only be done with His power. Amen. Can I get a witness? So it says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And he says, and you will be my witnesses. So what is a witness? What does a witness do? If you imagine in like a trial scenario, when you're in court, what's the role of a witness? Well, a witness essentially testifies on behalf of another. And you can have different types of witnesses. They might testify about what they saw. They might testify about what they heard. They might testify about the character of a person. So essentially when Jesus says to his disciples, as he is saying to you, and as he, as he speaks over us every single day, you will be my witnesses. You will testify about what you've seen. You will testify about what you've heard and you'll testify about my character, my nature as you go about your daily lives. As you, where, whether you are local, whether you are global, wherever you are, you're going to tell the world about who I am. You're gonna tell the world not just about what I did, but what I can do. You're not just gonna tell the world what I have said, but you are gonna tell the world what I'm saying. And you're gonna testify about the nature of who I am and express that to people. I remember having a conversation with a lady and it was like a friend of a friend of someone that we just used to, me and a friend of mine used to minister to and um, she was going through a really hard time and, uh, and we are just talking to her and we just started to share the love of the Father, just how good God was and, and we're talking to her. She's not a believer. And as she's kind of halfway through, she stops us and she's like, this is amazing. If this is who God is really, what He's really like, if this is who God is, this is amazing. And she then starts telling us, you need to put this like on a pamphlet or something and start putting it in people's letterboxes. Like, this is amazing. But we're just telling the love of the Father. I remember sitting with a, with a lady, and I've told this story before, a, a lady on the, on the streets of Fremantle, and, uh, and she had been uh, beaten up by a partner, and he had cut her hair off. She had scars on her face, and uh, she was just had a really, really hard life. And, uh, and I was just, just sitting with her as she's, as she's crying. She'd just been through like a police incident and all this sort of stuff. But I decided to tell her, 
how much God loves her, how beautiful she was, how beautiful the father saw her to be, and she is weeping and crying. And what really stood out to me is I would spend every Friday night leading a youth group at that time with maybe 150 kids, and we'd talk all the time about how much God loves you. And they're like, oh yeah, cool, we get it, we hear it. But this woman, it was so powerful because she didn't know the love of God. She didn't know the nature of the Father. And probably all of the expressions of fathers and men in authority in her life had been abusive and diminishing and crushing to her. And yet there's this, here's this Father, this good Father. And I was able to express the nature of the Father to her and it was so powerful and made such a difference. But that's what we do as witnesses to who God is. So what are we to testify about? We testify about who Jesus is, what Jesus said, and what Jesus did. Now again, it's not just about this kind of personal salvation framework. That is important. But the message, the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed wasn't just simply about, oh, you know, you, and if you pray this prayer, one day you'll go to heaven. It's no, God is inviting you to be part of His family. God is inviting you into a restored and transformed life. And then God is wanting to use you to be a transformer of other people's lives. It's always this circular process with the Lord. We don't start at salvation and then finish at salvation. Salvation is simply the beginning. That's the doorway into this new life in the kingdom with the Lord where we then get to partner in with Him and what He is doing in the world to bring transformation. I started this message writing about city transformation. So I'm still gonna talk about that. But it starts with, first we've gotta understand, God wants to transform this city. And God is in the process of transforming this city. You need to know, God is in the process of transforming this city. Okay, and God's gonna expand the transformation in this city to the region and to many other cities. That's God's heart, that's what He is about. He's not just about individuals here and there and whatever, maybe one day praying a prayer and going to heaven when they die. God's heart is to redeem. God is always about redemption. God is always about redemption. He's not interested in destroying things. He's interested in redeeming things. And that's every person, that's every family, that's every neighbourhood, that's every city, that's every nation. God does not have enemy nations that He's looking to one day destroy. God wants to redeem those nations. What's happening in Afghanistan right now, God's not looking at it and saying, they're, like they're enemies to Him. Even if their religion is different to ours, God is not setting about saying, I can't wait to destroy those people. God's heart is yearning for their salvation. Every ISIS fighter, God's heart is yearning for their salvation. Every Taliban fighter, God's heart is yearning for their salvation. But what He's waiting for, He's waiting for a witness. The gospel of the kingdom is about God's kingdom infiltrating, impacting, and transforming every culture and sphere of society. God cares about His creation and He's on a mission with the help of you and I to radically redeem His creation. But He has chosen you and I. We are God's plan A for the transformation of the nations. And guess what? God does not have a plan B. So if there is no partnership with us, I mean, we spend a time in worship to say, I hope people will partner in with what we're worshiping here. But if we can't partner in to sing songs for 45 minutes, like we're gonna go, man, we're gonna get a little bit more serious about this. God loves it when we love on Him. But if it takes pulling teeth to get us just to sing 
songs of love to him for 45 minutes, the whole mission's gonna be cut short. The impact of what God desires to do in this city, in your life, in this nation will be cut short because we choose to not partner with him. And I love, you know, Bethia's prayer. And we, we talked, you know, beforehand about this, but God will not violate your will. God has given you freedom, but you will violate his. He, he won't violate your will. That would be unjust of him to do so. But in that freedom dynamic, you're free to violate his will. So if anyone's gonna violate, it's gonna be us. We have to take responsibility. When we say your will be done, that means your will be done through me and in me. Not your will be done out there, God, because God's will is to use you to accomplish his will. Amen? That's why Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this will, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you might be able to test the will of God, his perfect will, that you might be able to come into agreement with what his desires are. Not your desires, but his desires that they might be accomplished. Amen? All right. So if we're gonna be a witness for God, the best witness is an eyewitness. Not secondhand information. We don't wanna be secondhand witnesses of God. Well, yeah, I've heard someone mention to me one time about who he is. Oh yeah, I've got a friend who one time had this experience with God or, you know, I, I, I go to a church and there's some people there who seem really passionate about him. The best witness is an eyewitness, someone who's had a firsthand encounter. One who has seen and heard and experienced God themselves. Amen? So we can declare that God is a miracle worker because we have seen Him perform miracles. We can declare that God supernaturally provides because we have seen His supernatural provision. We can declare that God delivers, heals, transforms and restores because He has done it in us and through us. So for us to be a witness of God, we have to have seen and heard and experienced it ourselves. We can't rely on somebody else's testimony. We can't rely just on the witness of another. But God says, I want you to be my witness. I wanna fill you with my power. I want you to do it. So first of all, we have to have that encounter. We have to have the face-to-face. -face. You have to have the experience, otherwise you're relying on somebody else's testimony. Maybe even just relying on what, was, what is in the Bible. But God wants you to take what is in the Bible and say, if God did it then, He can do it now. If God did it in them, He can do it in me. So Lord, do it in me. Lord, yes, I wanna see that, God. Like, are we hungry? Do we have that childlike faith that expects that God's going to do miraculous things in our life? When we wake up in the morning, are we excited? God, I'm so excited for what you're gonna do today. I'm so excited about who you're gonna bring across my path. I'm so excited about the miraculous provision I'm gonna see. I'm so excited, Lord, that maybe I'll be walking down the street and a demon-possessed person will come up to me and I'll get to cast demons out of them, Lord. I'm so excited about what you're gonna do today. But you might say, hold on, Brad. <laughs> I'll be fine for you, but I'm, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. You don't have to be somebody. You just have to know somebody. To be a witness, you don't have to be somebody, you just have to know somebody. So you wanna be a witness, you're not saying, hey, I'm great, I'm awesome, I can do all of these things. You're saying, you know what, God is great. 
God is awesome and God can do all of these things. But I'm not speaking on behalf of somebody else. I know it because I've seen him do it in my life. I've seen him do it as I've prayed for a friend. I've seen him do it for this person and that person. I've experienced the reality of the Father in my life. So I'm speaking from a first-hand account that God is good. Amen? All right, come on. The world needs a witness and the world needs your witness because nobody else is born at this time in history, lives in your family or in your neighbourhood or works your job. Every single one of you is called to be a witness. Doesn't mean you have to be evangelist, go out there and, and traveling the world, doing all of those things or know how to beautifully articulate the scriptures or anything like that. You just gotta be, I know him, I've seen him, I've experienced him and I wanna share that with other people. Matthew 5, 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. People are supposed to be seeing the reality of God presented through your life. That's how people will know. People will see the reality of God, maybe not through a supernatural glory cloud appearing in their room, but it'll be through the way that you love, the way that you pray, the way that you care, the way that you nurture through miraculous provision, all of these different ways. As we look at the life of Jesus, just study his life, you'll see what he did. Now he did crazy, amazing, miraculous things. He wrote, people were raised from the dead, demons were cast out, people were healed. But you know what he also did? He also ate with people that nobody else would eat with. He also went into the homes of people that nobody else would enter in the homes. The, the, the outcasts of society he was willing to spend time with but not in a way like, oh, I guess I will. He, he seemed to enjoy being with people and they seemed to enjoy being with him. Sinners, prostitutes, people that, would, that society looked upon and said, they're worthless, forget about them. Oh, geez, you wanna hang out with the righteous, come hang out with us. And she's like, no, thank you. I'd rather go and hang out with them. So they got to see the Father, even in that simple act of who he associated with, the nature of the Father was revealed. So if we're gonna be good witnesses to the world, we need to develop, here we go, we need to develop our witness fitness. I tried to find some like cool 80s kind of, um, like a WWJD sweatband or something. We need to be training in the ways and the words of Jesus. We need to be pursuing that. In the same way, like I consider, um, Luke Burton's a, he is a um, personal training business. There would be an expectation that someone who runs a personal training business would be fit, okay, and energetic. But it takes some training to do that. Now again, if you were very unfit and in that place and then somebody came in, they'd be like, yeah, like, do you work out? Like, I'm kind of, you know. Um, uh, there's a, a comedian that I follow. I'll, I'll encourage you to listen because he's actually it's super clean. His name is Nate Bugatsy. But he talks about getting one of those fitness DVDs and it's like this military training fitness DVD, you know, and you get all ripped and buff or whatever. He's like, oh yeah, I'll do that. And, uh, but he looks at, the, there's like a before and after photo. And he's like, and he looks at the before photo and he's like, that guy actually looks really good. 
do you have a DVD for the before guy? And, uh, you know, so anyway. Um, but you know what I mean? Like you've got to, there would be an expectation that I'm not just talking about something else. I'm talking about something that I've experienced. So I'm in training to learn the ways of Jesus. I'm in training and pursuing experiential reality of God. To be with Him, hearing His voice, being transformed into His nature, and then going out and doing the very things that He did. So if I haven't witnessed it, then it's up to me to search out opportunities to witness it. So you might say, well, I've never seen God heal someone. Then my question would be, how many people are you praying healing over? I can guarantee this. I'm sure it's like mathematically, statistically correct, that the number of people that you will see healed through your prayers is somehow correlated to the number of people that you'll pray healing over. So I can promise you, if you, if you don't pray healing over anybody, I guarantee you won't see him healed through your prayers. And you read stories of you know, famous people, even in our day, that have seen thousands of people healed, people raised from the dead. Most of their testimonies are, I prayed for hundreds of people and saw nothing. But that's a hungry pursuit of the miraculous to say, I know it's true, Jesus. I know you're not a liar. Not just that you did it, but you called me to go and do the same things. So I'm gonna pray until I see it happen. Because it's actually not about us. And that's why I love, anytime I pray for someone, my focus is all about expressing the love of God. If they get healed, it's a bonus, but my, my primary reason why I would even pray for them is not to see a cool miracle, because I wanna express the love of God, that God would care enough, that I would care enough because of the Lord just to come and pray that God would heal you, pray that God would provide for you, restore for something in your life. For me, um, when it comes to seeing demons cast out of people, I love deliverance ministry. I love seeing people manifest and then demons getting kicked out, okay? You might not be that person, it's okay. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to love it. You gotta do it though, because it's a command of God. But anyway, um, but I remember for me, I was like, I, I, I love all that sort of stuff. But really, I'd never seen it happen. I'd only ever heard about it. But for me, I, I, I developed a friendship with, with someone who worked in, uh, in my local area in Quinana and, uh, and they would sometimes come across people like clients of theirs who were demon possessed. And, uh, and instead of just tackling them on his own, he would call me up and say, hey, I was praying for a client today. It was like a um, job search network. It wasn't as Christian job. Um, but, uh, and, uh, but he was a Christian in that job. And so he'd call up and he'd be like, hey, come can you come and help me pray for this person? So we saw so many people, not Christians, but just people who were, who were demon possessed. But I learned how to do that by being alongside somebody who knew how to do it and just watched it happen. Then I participated in it and saw so many people get delivered from, the, from demons. So so many people get healed miraculously before my eyes. But it took courage to step out. It took that boldness to say, I'm gonna risk it. I'm gonna risk being embarrassed. I'm gonna risk looking foolish, but I'm so glad I did it. And you know what? The, the strangest thing for me is my faith in God would always increase, not when I saw him, but when I saw demons manifest. Because I'm like, I know that person and I know they would never behave like that. And that they are freaking out and looping out and doing all sorts of crazy stuff that they'll never do in their right mind. And then your faith is built because then you pray in the name and the authority of Jesus and they all of a sudden get set free and delivered. It's so cool. 
It's so cool seeing that stuff happen. But it takes courage and boldness. It takes, it's the opportunity to look foolish, but the reward always outweighs the risk. So if you're like, I've never seen a demon cast out of someone, then just ask God to open up doors and opportunities. Because there is lots of demon possession all over the place. In lots and lots of people. You find it here on a Sunday, sometimes in our ministry time. We're not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of demons. Why would you be? We're on the winning team. Amen? We have authority in Jesus. We've got to develop our witness fitness. We've got to train in those things. We've got to start looking for opportunities, creating opportunities. For me, I would love to get fit by just sitting there doing nothing. And yet it just does not seem to work. It doesn't work. And if you've tried it, I don't know, I've seen those machines like at the, they used to have at the shops that just like jiggle you when you're thinking, I'm like, surely that doesn't work. Just jiggling the fat away, you know? I do that every time I walk. The fat doesn't jiggle off, you know? So surely that doesn't work, but if only. But it actually takes some intentionality to do that. So man, I wanna see, I'd love to see people healed. Then go start praying for people, sick people that you see. Go into the hospital, start knocking on doors. It, it happens. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. But I can't be your witness. You've got to get a witness, yeah? Amen. Are we living with the expectation of the miraculous in our lives? Do you live with that expectation? Because sometimes that's what it takes. Is actually, I've just got to raise the expectation level. I've actually got to be looking for those opportunities. Because if I'm not looking for the opportunities, they probably won't present themselves. You might not find that it comes rushing up and hit, hitting you in the face. But again, ask the Lord. Say, God, would you give me opportunity to grow in these areas? Would you give me opportunity to develop my fitness in these areas? This is the method of Jesus. And he showed his disciples, even before this passage in, uh, in Acts, we find in Luke 9 and 10, it talks about, uh, Luke chapter nine says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Because again, when we, if we talk about this reality of Jesus, now again, I can talk about, oh yeah, pray a prayer, one day you'll go to heaven. People go, I can't pray a prayer, one day I'll go to heaven. There's no expectation of experience, is there? But what Jesus did, he says, the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and let me show you what it's like. And then boom, demons cast out, people healed, restored. So again, if we are declaring the kingdom, we should be also expecting to reveal the kingdom in the natural order, amen? We gotta learn it ourselves. We gotta experience ourselves. What do we need? Witness fitness. It'll catch on. So again, then we've got in Luke 10, Verses one to nine, I won't read the whole scripture, but this is where he sends out the 72. So he sends out the 12 first, they get trained in it. Then he sends out the 72 to do the same thing. As he says, to let the shalom of God come and rest and to heal, but to dwell with the people. So it's as you go, do these things. As you go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Immersing them in the reality of God. How do you immerse someone in the reality of God? You witness to them. And I don't just mean, we think witness, we think words. No, 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 it is words, it's declaring, but it's also 
revealing and experiencing the reality of heaven. And he goes on then, that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I've got a little map here that just helps to kind of outline what he's talking about. It's a really slow map, but there it goes. So you see Jerusalem circled in red. That's where they were. That's where they lived. That was their town that they were residing in. That's where Jesus was speaking to them. And that was the place that they were told to wait until the Holy Spirit had come upon them in power. Then we see above that, we have Samaria and Judea. Okay, so two regions just outside of where they were. And then you have obviously the ends of the earth is, is a much bigger map that couldn't fit all on the screen. Um, but if we look at these different areas, there, there are specific elements to them that are helpful for us when we know, okay, who are the people that God has called us to witness to? So the people in Jerusalem are the people with whom we might have direct contact. So you might, if you would ask a question, who is my Jerusalem? Where is my Jerusalem? Who are the people in my Jerusalem? Well, the people that you have direct contact with. So family, friends, your neighbours, your workmates, maybe customers if you work somewhere, a local cafe owner, the person on the checkout at your local shopping centre. That's your Jerusalem. It's those that you live amongst. And oftentimes they are of a similar culture to you. Okay, People that you would naturally relate to. And then Judea, those are the people that are out of direct conflict uh, contact with, but who are culturally similar. So again, Jerusalem is in Judea. So they understood to, to go and expand outside of Jerusalem into Judea, these weren't like foreign people. These were people that, okay, I don't live amongst them, but they're the same people. So for us, that would be maybe the rest of Western Australia or the nation of Australia. That would be our, our Judea. It's mainly people that are of a similar culture. So there's not a language barrier Okay, but we kind of have an understanding of each other. It's people and groups with whom we share a similar culture and heritage with. Okay. Then as we expand out to Samaria, these are people and groups who are close geographically, but culturally distant. So immigrants and refugees, different ethnic groups, the poor or the rich or the middle class, depending on what category you fall into, not that we want to categorize people by wealth, but oftentimes there can be cultural differences between, between the poor or the middle class or the wealthy. Okay, in our local, we're all wealthy if we live in Australia, let's face it, compared to the rest of the world. But if you're looking within the nation of Australia, you would say, so if I'm middle class, and that's talking about the poor and the rich who are culturally different to me, okay? And yet I live amongst them. It could be people, again, people, immigrants and refugees, are we, are, called, are we called to keep refugees out of our country? No, we're called to love them and embrace them and witness to them. So again, the expectation, even in Jesus' words, is that there will be people that you will live amongst that aren't of your same ethnicity and culture. And I've called you to be a witness to them. That means spending time with the poor or spending time with the rich. If you're poor, that's spending time with the middle class or the rich. If you're rich, that's spending time with the middle class and the poor. You understand what I'm saying. But it's about intentionally pursuing and building relationship and connecting with those people. I don't want to tell you, they're not scary. You don't have to be afraid. But I know sometimes people get afraid of that. 
It's a different culture. It's, just, it's a different culture. Oftentimes, though, you'll find that there's elements of that other culture that is so good and you get to experience. And then finally, the ends of the earth. So this is people who are geographically and culturally distant. So this would be world missions. So we are called to local mission and we're called to regional mission. We're called to national mission and we're called to global mission, okay? So when God says you are a missionary, don't just think the nations, think your neighbours because that's, that's who we're talking about here. So we have been tasked to be a witness for Jesus. Amen? Jesus left, Jesus ascended to heaven and he left space for you to follow in his footsteps. I think he probably knew if I stick around, you guys aren't gonna pick this up. Even as the disciples were doing, we're gonna keep referring back to you. Jesus had already given them the Great Commission. Jesus had already trained them by sending them out and still they're sitting around, okay, cool, Jesus. When are you gonna restore the kingdom to us? Yeah. It's like, really, guys? Have you not caught it yet? Don't worry about that. You will go and do it. What? We're gonna go and restore the kingdom? Yeah, you are. But it's much bigger than Israel. It's all the nations and all the people groups. As I said before, you are God's plan A for world transformation. Can you say, I am God's plan A for world transformation? Who is I am? I am God's plan A. You are God's plan A for world transformation. We need that to sink in. You need to understand that your life, the reason that you're still here is because God has a plan for you and His plan is world transformation. I love there's an Ikea advert and it talks about um, like lights and just doing little things that ultimately bring about big change. You might have seen that advert before, but, uh, but it's just this thing where we might look at our lives and say, but I'm just, I'm a stay-at-home mum or I mean, I don't even have a job, so I don't have work colleagues or I'm just, I'm just this simple person. I don't, I just kind of have a small business or I just work in this organisation. Like who am I to be anything? It's like, well, you are, a witness to God, you're filled with His Spirit and you're called and empowered and commissioned and mantled to be a witness on behalf of God in those places. So it's not, again, it's not about how big you are, it's about how big God is. It's not about who you are, it's about who He is. So it's simply just a matter of yielding to Him and saying, God, use me in whatever way you would have me be used. And that might be having a simple conversation as I buy a coffee with somebody. It's seeing somebody sitting on their own and going and, and siding up next to him and just having a conversation. It might be on the, the daily commute on the train to work that you say, I'm not gonna sit on my own and bury my face in my book. I'm gonna sit amongst different people and just start conversations and get to know them. It might be that just praying. And again, not just praying for your needs, but praying for your neighbourhood, praying for your neighbours, praying for the city, praying for the church. Your prayers are powerful. Prayers shift atmospheres. Prayers dismantle and displace territorial spirits that keep people oppressed. Everything that we do is impacting for the kingdom. Because when you combine every single person together, all of a sudden that starts to make a huge impact. 
God wants to transform your life. He wants to transform your family. He wants to transform your neighborhood. He wants to transform this city, this region, this nation, and all creation. And He's chosen you to do it. Is that scary? Or is that exciting? I get excited about that. I want my life to count for something, for the Lord, not just to one day, because everything that I build in the natural is just gonna all burn one day. And I like building stuff. (laughs) I love building stuff. I'm a builder, but I know that in eternity, this is all gonna burn. Lives won't burn, except for those who don't know Jesus because we haven't witnessed about him. That wasn't a planned burn, ouch. That is the reality. People won't hear about Jesus if we don't speak about Jesus. People won't meet Jesus if we don't present him to them. He wants to transform this city. He wants to transform this nation. He wants to transform this nation, but will you be his witness? So again, there's no excuse if you say, I just don't, I don't know if I know him that much. I don't know, I've never experienced these things. Good, today is a good opportunity to start. Well, Brad, I can't bench press 120 kilos. That's okay, start with 20. Start somewhere and start moving towards that place. It's like if you wanna lose weight, you, don't, you start where you are and you start working towards that thing. Now we all wanna be, oh, but if I was you know, this weight, then I'd be fine. Yeah, but that takes a journey to get there, if you know what I mean. If I wanted to be big and bulky and buff, I know it's gonna take some effort to get to that place. But we all wanna be in that place, but it's gonna take a journey. I would love to know that whoever I prayed for would instantly, miraculously get healed. I'd love that. Then I'd pray for everyone, wouldn't you? If you knew that every single person you prayed for would get healed, you'd pray for everybody. But the thing that stops us is because what if they don't get healed? Yeah, what if? You'll never know until you give it a go. Witness fitness. All right, why don't you pray with me? You're welcome to stand to your feet if it doesn't trouble you too much. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I wonder if Tracy's, could you jump on and just have a tinkle on the piano? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. We invite your Holy Spirit just to move. Father, reading these scriptures, Lord, hearing the words that I've spoken, even agreeing with them, Lord, That's not enough to see what you desire to see come about, Lord. 
it wasn't enough for the disciples in Jerusalem, Lord, so certainly not enough for us. So Father, in the same way that they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, Lord, we wait, even in this moment, we wait for You to come, Holy Spirit. Because it is Your power, Holy Spirit. It is Your dunamis, Your dynamite, Your explosive power, Lord, that will enable us, God. Now we give our agreement, Lord, to what You desire, but we wait for You, Holy Spirit. Would You come? Would You come right now, Lord? And we know that You dwell in us, Father, and so I'm not asking You to come to a place You're unfamiliar with, Lord, but, but maybe there are some here, even in the room today, that they've never been filled with Your Spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and fall on every empty vessel today. We receive You, Holy Spirit. If you feel like you've never received the Holy Spirit, just say, I receive You, Holy Spirit. I receive Your Holy Spirit. Would You come with Your power? Would You come with Your love? Would You come with Your fullness? Would You come and fill me and immerse me with Your presence? Thank You, Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would come, that You would bring Your boldness, Lord. You would make us courageous God. We pray even right now, Holy Spirit, that You would just impart and release an anointing for the miraculous, Lord. That as You come and move, Holy Spirit, that You'll smear people with that anointing for miracles, Lord. But Father, we'd have the, the boldness that would partner in with that anointing that we would start praying for miracles, Lord. That we'd start expecting the miraculous, Lord. We'd start expecting people to be healed, Lord. We'd start expecting miraculous provision, Father. We'd start expecting uh, demons to be cast out, Lord. Father, that You would raise our expectation for what You wanna do. Because You said, We'll do the same and if not greater miracles than what You performed, Jesus. But do we wake up with an expectation that we're gonna see greater things than what You saw, Lord? Lord, increase our faith. Increase our expectation. Father, give us a fresh vision for where we live and for where we work, Lord. Father, where our hope has been diminished, Lord. Maybe we had expectation at one stage, Lord, and that expectation has waned. We just pray, Father, You would reignite that expectation, Lord. You'd reignite that fire in us, Lord. Even as we sang today, Lord, that You would set a fire down in our soul that we can't contain and we can't control, Lord, that will start to burn out of us, Lord, and burst out of us, God, an uncontrollable fire, Lord, that You would ignite wildfires, Lord, in people right now, come Holy Spirit and ignite wildfires in us, Lord. Uncontainable fire, God. Uncontainable fire, Lord. That those springs of living water flowing up out of us, God, that You will not be able to stop us from speaking, Lord. That nothing would prevent us, Father, from moving forward. Because Lord, we know in Matthew 24, Lord, it says the Gospel of the Kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So Father, the Gospel has not been proclaimed. The end has not yet come. So the work is not yet finished, Lord. 
And You're calling upon Your church, Father, to stand up, to raise up, and to be the people that You've called them to be, Lord. We are not waiting for when You return. We're not waiting for what You're gonna do in the future, Lord. We're not hoping in that, God, but our hope is in what You are going to do today and tomorrow and this week and this year, God. We would have an expectation that You're gonna move, Lord. We'd have an expectation that our family would be saved, Lord, that our neighbours would be saved, God, that we'd see miracles break out from our lives, Lord, not just from this place, God. Father, we don't want this just to be a miracle place, Lord. We want this to be a place of testimony, Father, because in every school and every neighbourhood and every workplace, Lord, miracles are breaking out. And that we'd come every week and would celebrate, look what the Lord has done. Father, we'd be inundated with God's stories of You moving in every place, Lord, because You are sending us out You are sending us out into the harvest field, Lord. You are sending us out as missionaries, Father, into the Jerusalem of our lives, Lord, into the Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But Father, would You give us a fresh vision for what You're doing and what You desire to do. And Father, we would wake up every day and would give our yes to You, whatever You desire, Lord. Thank You, Jesus. We say yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord. We bless You, God. We love You, Lord. And we're so excited about what You're doing, Lord. You're redeeming, You're transforming, and You're inviting us to partner and participate in that process, Lord. But Father, would You help us to build muscle in these areas, Lord. To build our fitness, to give us a greater ability to witness about who You are and what You've done and what You desire to do. Amen. Amen. Bless you, family. Love you guys. You're courageous. You're amazing. God has good things for you this week. Amen. Amen. Bless you, bless you, bless you.